When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life Draft Edition. We are finally recapping the Jets' 2022 haul. They went into this thing with ridiculous amounts of expectations from the outside and from fans. They had the draft capital to back it up, right? They had two firsts, two seconds, a third, two fourths, and two fifths, nine picks in the top five rounds, two in the first, trading away players like Jamal Adams, Avery Williamson, Sam Darnold over the years to accumulate these picks. But it was a matter of how Joe Douglas would go out and spend them, what we would get in return and then how those players fare, which we haven't gotten to that point yet, right? All these guys are just names, and any prospect can boom or bust at any time, depending on the situation they're put in and their ability to learn, grasp the concept, the scheme that they're in, all that. So still a lot to be determined. But when you look at what Joe Douglas came away with, the seven players that he drafted, it was absolutely incredible. This is, and I'm not exaggerating, this is the best draft class I have ever seen you know, analyzing in May in my entire life. I've been following the draft pretty closely for about 20 years, maybe 15 years of of football knowledge and, and education. I couldn't believe what he was able to do and come away with in each round. He got my top one or two prospect at five different positions and just continued to manipulate the draft board, understand where guys would be available, trade up, make sure he got his guys And he's done enough to boost this defense, to boost the offense, to give Zach Wilson a ton of help, and to make this team a ton of fun and very, very watchable. Not only for Jets fans, but fans of other teams. This team's actually starting to get a little bit of traction, get some big names, get a little pop and a little zest for the first time in a very long time. And I went back this last week and I watched some of the games from that Geno Smith 2013 season just to get a little bit of a a level of groundedness just to feel like, oh, where were we back then when we had a rookie quarterback? What did we put around him? Holy shit, that team was bad. Unbelievable the difference in talent that the team has now versus then. Even Sam Darnold didn't have the weapons. Mark Sanchez did have the weapons, but he was one of those situations where the team was built really well. You know, Brett Favre was there. We thought we could go for a run. We built a nice team. He plugged in, didn't quite reach what he should have been, and the team won in spite of him. Even though he did some nice things here and there, he just didn't have the mustard to keep it going with the roster that we had, and eventually we had to break it down because so much money was spent. He couldn't carry it from there, yada, yada. But this team is being built the right way. This draft class solidifies it. We have to see them all play. We have to see how it works out on the field. But today, May 10th, I am as excited as I could possibly be. My dad is super excited. Almost any Jets fan you talk to is super excited. The entire draft weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, was just unlimited Jets talk as every single person was talking about. Look what the Jets were able to do. Look what they came away with. And we knew they were going to get a lot. They had two first-round picks, so no matter what, it was going to be one of the talking topics of the draft. But to leave with what they got, unbelievable. This draft is going to talk, or this podcast is going to talk about those seven players that we got, my analysis, my thoughts on those players, and a little bit about them. It's going to do, I'm going to break down or, or just read the undrafted list. I don't really know those players very well. I will get to know them in training camps and whatnot. But right now, not a lot of... Not a lot of pop on that undrafted list, in my opinion. Definitely some guys that could crack through the roster, barring injuries and whatnot. But they just have a lot of players signed to contracts right now. A lot of bodies going into training camp. A lot of dudes that are kind of ready to play. Even those back-end guys, and you look at a 90-man roster going into training camps, even like those number 80 to 90, when you take out the undrafted free agents, you know, those Elijah Rileys and Kai Nakua, Will Parks, there's a lot of players that have a little bit to offer the Jets when another team maybe is going into camp with guys there that are just, you know, spring bodies. 
Jets don't really have a lot of that. Very pleased with it. We are going to talk about all those things. But before I do, I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. It's super appreciated. It's one of the only ways that I can actually get feedback from anybody on the podcast. So anytime I see a positive thing or feedback from anybody on that stuff, I, uh, it goes a long way and I really appreciate it. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan, where my engagement is hit or miss, depending on how much energy I have towards uh, <laughs> tweeting about the Jets on any given day. But you can catch a lot of my opinions there and engage with me as well. So, to begin this thing, this incredible Joe Douglas draft, holy shit, let's just kind of talk about how we got there, what we started with, what we ended with. So, Joe Douglas's draft board manipulation, we started with nine picks. I said two firsts, two seconds, a third, two fourths, and two fifths. He made trades to end with three firsts, a second, a third, and two fourths. So, essentially... Through his movement, we lost two-fifths and a second-round pick, but picked up a first-round pick. When you talk about that, I mean, first-round picks are incredibly hard to get. The amount of draft value that you need to give up to acquire a first-round pick, regardless of the draft or the talent in the draft, is extremely high. So to be able to drop a 38 overall pick or 35 overall pick and to move to 26 to grab a player there and only really in this draft losing two-fifths, not a big deal, and a second a small price to pay when that second becomes a first. And it cost you two fifths. So very, very nice work by Joe Douglas there. We traded picks 35, 69, and 163 to the Titans for pick 26 and pick 101. So they got that 26th overall pick, and they still acquired pick 101 to have a little bit more in the middle of the draft. They essentially traded back in the third and gave up their late fifth-round pick to get back into the first and get that edge, Jermaine Johnson. We're going to talk about him soon. They also traded pick 38, and pick 146 to the Giants for pick 36. So essentially there, the Jets moved up two spots in the draft and gave up pick 146 because they wanted to get their guy, Brees Hall, running back out of Iowa State. They didn't want to risk losing him, and they thought somebody else was either going to trade with the Giants there or get up in front of the Jets before they picked in two picks. You know what? If you're going to go get your guy, and it's a guy as good as Brees Hall, somebody that I absolutely wanted to be on the Jets, go for it. Give up pick 146 probably a coin flip anyway at best to be a good backup body and go get the stud. So great movement by Joe Douglas. It was, uh, it's been something that he's been doing since the first draft he got here. This is his third draft now. We know that he came in midway through after Mike McCagden did a draft and then they brought in Joe Douglas. So it really wasn't a full year for him there. Then he had his first draft where he went after offensive line, go figure. It's kind of his thing. We saw him trade back, move around the board, pick up Denzel Mims, Ashton Davis, some other players that didn't end up turning into be what we hoped they would be. But at that time, we were building a team around Adam Gase, his philosophy, and the offense we were running there with Dawa Lagains, and uh, obviously Greg Williams was on defense. So it wasn't the same scheme. There wasn't a strong partnership between the two. He was kind of just brought in last minute. It was like, you're going to be working with Gase until Gase gets fired. Eventually, luckily, that all sorted itself out. But the trajectory and the direction of the team changed instantly when Joe Douglas got to hire his head coach, Robert Sala. So all of a sudden, two guys that are aligned in their philosophies, how they think they should build a culture, how they think they should build a team, what kind of guys and players they're looking for. And this was a draft where we really got to see, you know, last year we had Robert Sala coming in. We knew that he was going to be our head coach, but he hadn't worked with him yet. And we had a very successful draft in that. When you look at Elijah Vera Tucker, Michael Carter, Michael Carter II, Brandon Eccles, it was a very nice draft. Some other players mixing there too. Zach Wilson, we don't know what he's going to be yet. But overall, like if you can grab, honestly, like two, three starters in a draft, it's pretty good. If you're grabbing three, four, you feel really good. I think he was able to do that last year. And when you look at this draft, I easily see four instant big-time impact starters. And then you got a couple other guys that are going to develop into hopefully something pretty special. And these guys are all on rookie deals. Some really big-time talent. Super excited to see Joe Douglas' plan continue to work. And when you look at what they drafted, this is one of the things that I kind of go back to and why I'm so excited about this and why it's been such a struggle for us Jets fans over the past few seasons. Joe Douglas inherited a roster and a coaching staff that was in need of a big-time makeover. We had to cut a lot of players. We had to make cap space. We had to get rid of those coaches, bring in a new coach, figure out their scheme, and then build around that. So many things on this team have changed from when Adam Gase 
and Mike McCagden were running the show to now where Robert Sala and Joe Douglas are doing things. But to rebuild a team the right way, you can't just plug in a quarterback onto a shitty team and watch him suffer and get hit and beat up and lose all confidence the way we did with Sam Darnold and other teams have done with quarterbacks in the past. You saw Geno Smith. I was just watching that game from 2013. Horrible supporting cast. He had some good offensive linemen, but no weapons. I was watching his number one wide receiver be David Nelson, followed by Stephen Hill and Jeremy Curley in the slot. I mean, no good. No bueno. But when you look at what they've built around the team now, right, for the last couple years, it's not been a ton of talent. You haven't had big pop at the wide receiver position. It's coming along. You haven't had those big names, those big flashy players. But what he has done is focus on the trenches. The offensive line built up with guys like Elijah Vera Tucker, Mekhi Becton, the big signing in Connor McGovern, finding those depth pieces, constantly rotating the Dan Feeney's, Alex Lewis, Greg Van Roten's, trying to find the right mix of guys, working on the O-line. Same thing on the defensive line. Spending a lot of money on Carl Lawson, bringing in a Sheldon Rankins, paying John Franklin Myers, and then bringing in a supporting cast around them of players, trying to have a good rotation like he did in San Francisco. So the team was getting better, built through the trenches, but that's not a position of pop or flash. And when you're watching it on game day, you see it, you say to yourself, well, we're not really seeing anything translate, right? The Jets aren't picking up big yards. There's no 4,000-yard quarterback. There's no 1,000-yard receiver, 1,000-yard running back. Not a ton of turnovers on defense, not a ton of sacks. What it looks like is just kind of a not very good, not very competitive team. And it wasn't because it was half-built. But the half that was built was the part that was the least fun to watch and translates into the least results in the tabloids and the media and the fan base. But now this year, now that the Jets have built a very strong offensive line, filling it in this year with Lake and Tomlinson as the final piece, they've got that defensive line filled in, Carl Lawson coming back from injury, adding a guy like Jacob Martin for depth. You've got your offensive line, defensive line already set, and you can focus on what they drafted in this, a cornerback, a star cornerback a wide receiver, a tight end, a running back, an edge rusher, all of the positions that give you the flair, the flash, all the pizzazz on game day that we weren't able to do before because those are a luxury. You can't start your team built through a wide receiver without having an offensive line first. The Jets did it the right way. We had to suffer through it, but now we get to reap the rewards of an entire draft of fun, awesome guys to join this squad, and we're going to see that giant step forward. Now, the one worry with everything is the AFC is incredibly competitive right now. It's going to be very, very difficult for the Jets to win games regardless of how well they play because you've got teams across the board that are getting better in so many different categories. Guys like Devontae Adams, best receiver in the league, coming over. Guys like Russell Wilson, top five quarterback in the league, coming over to the AFC just to make it more condensed and even tighter than it's ever been. Now, the Jets' division is potentially winnable if you can beat Josh Allen and the Bills somehow and stay steady with the Dolphins and Patriots. It's possible, but the Jets are going to play a better brand of football. They're going to look better on game day. They're going to be more fun. may not translate to wins directly this season. Maybe, if I'm guessing right now, you know, six, seven wins. Not a playoff team, potentially, but the steps will be there, and the team is going to be learning how to win. They're going to be gaining confidence, the players are going to be getting better and better, and the minute one of these teams slips or somebody has a big injury or anything like that, the Jets are going to be ready to take over, get into the playoffs, and hopefully never look back. Confidence will gain within the team. There's so many good things that are going to happen. I just, uh, I'm super excited for this team, super excited for this season. It's going to be awesome to watch the growth of the players from last year, the year before, and this year's draft, as well as the free agent signings that we've picked up. But uh, I just don't expect it 100% to translate to wins right away, give it a little bit of time, and enjoy the ride of watching this team become so much cooler than it's been. So enough of that stuff, philosophy of the Jets and where they're headed. Let's talk about the draft. Let's talk about the seven big-time players the Jets added. But before we do, we have to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. That is right. This is what's on tap. And today, you know, I'm... I've gone back and forth throughout this podcast of being on a diet, being off of a diet, this and that. I'm getting married September 24th of this year, so I've got like four months to get in potentially the best shape of my life. It better be for thousands of dollars for a photographer. They're not going to be taking a picture of my big, fat, out-of-shape body. It's going to be a nice toned-down version of Dan. 
they can do what they can with Photoshop, but in the grand scheme of things, some of it's got to come from me. And I've toyed with maybe if I drink less, maybe if I drink just, you know, two finger pours of whiskey, maybe if I, whatever, trying to find things that I can do to lose weight and look good without putting in any real effort, like going to the gym or something like that. So my newest one is just not eating really any food at all, trying to eat as little as possible, portion control. Maybe then I can lose the weight without putting in any real effort other than eating less. We shall see. But it's led me to really not drink a lot, which normally is not the case. But I was like, let's get something nice, low-cal. What can I do for the summer? Boom, right back to the high noons. High noon is, without a doubt, the best seltzer on the market that I've ever had. I've had a lot of seltzers, and if you've never had a high noon, then you should try them. They're significantly more expensive, don't get me wrong, but compared to like a White Claw or a Truly or a Bon & Viv or any of that spiked seltzer stuff, this is hands down the best thing that you can find. It tastes like an actual seltzer with vodka poured into it. Mm, not super malty. It's not super uh, sugary. It's just freaking delicious. It is considered vodka with real fruit juice, sparkling water, and natural flavors. 4.5% alcohol. So they have a brand new variety pack from High Noon called Sun Sips, the pool party pack. And they've got kiwi and guava and lime and peach. And it's a whole new four pack. High Noon can't miss. They're all good. I'm thinking to myself, which one of these ones do I want to have? Fiance Shannon always runs to the kiwi first, which is a great flavor. I don't blame her, but because I bought them today, I was like, you know what? I'm going to take one of those now, get it for myself. So I am drinking a kiwi high noon, and it's unbelievable. It really is so freaking good. I don't think that you could take vodka and seltzer and mix them and make it taste better than this vodka and seltzer mixed. I don't know why. There's no added sugar. It's only 100 calories, so I feel like... It's not so bad to be drinking. Two, 2.3 grams of sugar. I, I don't look at the ingredient labels of a lot of things, but 2.3 seems low for a kiwi-flavored beverage. Can't miss with High Noon. Absolutely delicious. A wonderful What's on Tap today. Much deserved on this beautiful Connecticut day. So that is today's What's on Tap. And now, before the draft picks... A quick commercial. Alrighty, and welcome back to This Is The Jet Life, draft edition, where we are recapping the Jets' 2022 NFL draft. We're going to get right into it with Joe Douglas's picks. Pick number four, the first pick the Jets have in this draft, their own pick from finishing with the fourth best record in the league. They go with one, Sauce Gardner, cornerback from Cincinnati. Holy shit, this was my absolute number one dream pick at pick number four. My number one graded player in the entire draft was Aiden Hutchinson. I didn't even consider him a possibility. But I did not want to touch any of these other players. I did not want to touch Trayvon Walker or Kayvon Thibodeau. Didn't want to go O-line in this position. The only guy that I really 100% stamp my feet like, get me this guy, Sauce Gardner. Now, there are some people that are in the camp of, the Jets have three potentially good outside cornerbacks right now in Brandon Eccles, Bryce Hall, and DJ Reed. So who's going to move down the spot? Who's going to make way for Sauce Gardner to come in here and probably start instantly? And I'm not entirely sure who it's going to be, but every single year you see the Jets throwing out random-ass freaking cornerbacks like Isaiah Dunn or you name it, Lamar Jacksons, whomever. Every year there's a guy or two that shouldn't be there, a practice squad guy that has to fill in at cornerback. That won't really be the case for the Jets this year unless the injury plague absolutely ruins their season. You're going to have Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed as two main options. Bryce Hall and Brandon Eccles battling it out. Bryce Hall's a little bit more, uh, less athletic, but a little bit more technical. Brandon Eccles gets burned a little bit more, but he's got that super fast speed and a little bit better hands. DJ Reed, I'm still not counting out the possibility that he could play a sort of deep cornerback zone, somewhat like a free safety. I'm not sure if he's going to be a full-time free safety or not, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them putting him in a deep zone, covering part of that field, because I think he can handle it, but... That's all up to Robert Sala. They have the pieces to do it. And Sauce Gardner should have been picked there, not because the need at cornerback, because he is the best player that you could find in this draft. He's unbelievable, and the stuff that he did at Cincinnati speaks for itself. 
At six foot three hundred ninety pounds, he's got long ass arms, three and a half, thirty three and a half inches long. Right here at a four four one forty yard dash, so he's got the speed, he's got the height, he's got the arms, he's got the numbers to back it up as well. He allowed zero touchdowns throughout college. The guy hasn't given up a receiving touchdown since high school, if he even gave one up there. He gave up one hundred and thirteen yards his final junior year with Cincinnati. 113 yards on the entire season. He started as a freshman. He got in there. He made it happen. He worked his way up, played amazing every single year. He's tough, athletic. He's great in man coverage, but he also can play zone because this guy gets it. He's able to make tackles. The first time that I watched him, I watched him play in one of the uh, late games in the season, and he stood out to me not for his coverage because they really don't show him much when he's not getting the ball thrown his way, but for his tackling and his grit. He looked like a dude that just wanted to win and made sure he made things happen. I was like, wow, this is a cornerback that uh, I could see the Jets drafting because of that toughness. Then you find out later on, as I do all my scouting, like, oh, my gosh, he's the best cover corner that you've seen in college in who knows how long. You're talking about Cincinnati, who's playing Division I football, the number four ranked team. They're in these big bowl games. They played against Alabama. They played against Notre Dame, big-time schools, and he's shutting it down week after week. He's such a cool dude, too. He's got confidence. His name is Sauce, right? He got that nickname when he was like six or seven years old or something from one of his young coaches playing sports because they said, you know, kid, you got the sauce. And ever since then, he kept it, which means back in the day, the coaches were able to see, like, he's got an X factor, and he's just built different than other dudes. But even to this day, he goes by Sauce. He's got the juice. He's got the sauce, right? He's ready to embrace the big lights, in the market in New York, but he's got this humble confidence where he's not loud and he's he's willing to say that he's the best player in the draft, but he's not going to brag. He's not going to be over the top talking about it. He's kind of more just like, I'm going to prove it by playing good, good football every single week. I'm going to work on my form. I'm going to get up earlier than everybody else. He modeled himself after Chad Johnson, not for the ego, but for the work ethic, a guy that wants to be up before 5 a.m., be working out at, you know, 4 o'clock in the morning, hitting the bench press, and he said he thought to himself, like, there's not a lot of guys in the entire league that are doing stuff like this. I'm going to do what it takes to be better than them, to separate myself, and that's what it takes. How do you separate yourself from the very best in the world, pushing yourself to be better and do things that even they aren't doing? So Sauce Gardner, he's got it. He was a guy that you look across the talking heads in NFL media, the Jets fans, all of them wanted Sauce Gardner. I was no different. I am so glad they got him. I cheered like crazy when they did, and I couldn't be happier about the pick. We got to see it translate on the field for every single one of these guys that we go through. But today, to draft him, awesome. A-plus pick. The next pick, at pick number 10, almost equally as exciting, right? Not the number one prospect like Ahmad Gardner for the spot, but when you look at what the Jets needed in this draft, they had to come away with a wide receiver. We lost Jamison Crowder. Corey Davis was banged up last year. Keelan Cole is gone. And you really don't want to be in a situation where Corey Davis is missing time or Elijah Moore is missing time. And you're running out a Braxton Berrios again and trying to figure out whether Jeff Smith or Denzel Mims or DJ Montgomery is going to be the answer. You don't want to be put in that position. So receiver was hugely, hugely important. Now, the best receivers were in the first round. Of course, we knew there was going to be a big run, maybe five, six, seven guys in the first round. There'd be a couple guys available in the second round for the Jets at pick 35 or 38. But if you really wanted to get one, 10 would be a great spot to do it. They didn't have their choice of any receiver in the draft because Drake London was taken right before them. But at pick number 10, they were able to secure what a lot of people considered the very best wide receiver in this draft class, Garrett Wilson from Ohio State. This guy's a junior and has been very, very good in a very good program for three years now. He's played every single year he's been there, and he's continued to get better. In fact, he's been trending up so much that this past year, in the very last three games of the season, he ended with 27 catches, 371 yards, and six touchdowns. Just think about that for a second. Three last games of his college career, six touchdowns, 370 yards, and 27 catches. I mean, he was ascending even from his ascension. He was already probably the number one or two or three receiver in this entire draft class, and that's how he closes it out, getting better. Who knows what would have happened if the year went on, or if he played a senior year, perhaps. So he's not the flashiest-looking receiver on the field because he's not super big, he's not super fast, and he's not super tough. 
Doesn't have a ton of flash yards after the catch. But when you look at him overall, 6 feet tall, 183 pounds, he does have speed. He ran a 4.38 at the 40. He does have some height because he high points the ball really well. At 6 feet tall, that could be short if you don't high point the ball well. But he's got a big vertical, and he gets up there and catches it at its peak. With that speed, he does get some yards after catch. He was able to run the ball, get some yards from scrimmage without catching it, just from getting handoffs and little uh, pitch plays and things. And he played in that great program of Ohio State where you you know you're playing some of the best talent in the country week after week. You're getting good cornerbacks, big-time matchups, big spotlights, and he showed up time and time again. He kind of reminds me of like a, a Calvin Ridley-like receiver where he doesn't excel really at any one thing, but he's just an overall really good receiver, kind of like an Amari Cooper or something, like a good route runner, good hands, quick, knows where to be, just gets it done. He wasn't my favorite receiver in the entire class, but he was my number two. I had Chris Olave, his teammate, as my number one receiver, followed by Garrett Wilson. And if they're going to take my number two wide receiver at pick number 10, especially after drafting my number one wanted player at pick number four, holy moly, I'm on board. So they go with that. They go with Garrett Wilson, an awesome pick, a guy to help give depth to the wide receiver position, another weapon for Zach Wilson, another young, cheap playmaking talent that can grow with the team and with Zach. And then you're thinking to yourself like, all right, at this pick number 10, if it wasn't going to be a wide receiver, it probably was going to be an edge rusher. And one of the guys that a lot of people were looking at in that spot would be Jermaine Johnson. And that was who me and my dad were sitting there at pick 10 saying, we want Garrett Wilson or Jermaine Johnson. We're sitting there, just give us one of those two guys. We don't care which one. Either one would be great, and we could make an argument either way. We're sitting there. They say Garrett Wilson. Hooray, we got him, yes. My dad's going, ah, I kind of wish we got Jermaine Johnson, though. And I'm like, yeah, you know what, but you can't complain. We got a cornerback. We got a wide receiver. We got the opportunity to go get a guy in the second and third round to get an edge rusher or something. And he's like, yeah, you're right. We can still get stuff. It's good. Can't be upset. This is awesome. Lo and behold, Joe Douglas trades up to pick number 26 to get back into the first round and draft Jermaine Johnson, edge rusher from Florida State. This blew our minds. When we saw Joe Douglas trade up to that pick 26, we knew right away, they're doing it, they're getting Jermaine Johnson. We find out afterwards that Joe Douglas had been making calls from pick 15 on, trying to find a trade partner, just like, hey, you're on the clock, what do we have to give up? Knowing Joe Douglas, he's not going to get fleeced, he's going to do the fleecing, so he's going to make sure he's giving up the right amount of value to get the player. He's asking the team at 15, they say, oh, this is what we need, ah, too much. He asked 16, ah, too much. He's hoping. Is Jermaine Johnson going to be there at 17? He is. Okay, what can we do to trade there? He couldn't do it. Jermaine Johnson stays on the board for whatever reason. Other teams have different needs. Some teams maybe don't believe in him because of his lower win rate on the pass rush. But all that aside, Joe Douglas wants this guy. Pick 26. He's able to get there, trade with the Titans, and get Jermaine Johnson. So now we've gotten the guy that we wanted first overall in this draft, right? At pick four. We get the number one wide receiver that we wanted, my dad wanted, I number two receiver for me. And then we get the edge rusher that we wanted that picked number 10 if we couldn't get Garrett Wilson. So they come up with all three freaking guys. Unbelievable. Now, Jermaine Johnson is a little bit more, I wouldn't say controversial, but some people are on in the camp of we really want Jermaine Johnson. We think he could have been drafted pick four overall or pick 10. Other people say, I wouldn't touch him there. I would want him later in the first. I think everybody universally agrees that at pick number 26, Jermaine Johnson absolutely should be picked there. Whether you think he was a number four or number 10 overall player, maybe not. But at 26, yes, for sure. He started at an independent community college, right, called Independence Community College. And he was on the show Last Chance U, where they find guys who are football players that are on their very last leg of their football life, maybe they can get something going, a little bit of pop and get into the college football program, become a bigger name. There have been players from this Last Chance U program that have gotten into the NFL before. Some success stories, absolutely, but it still is very, very difficult to do. He worked so hard there and did so freaking well in two years, They got he ended up getting picked up by the Georgia Bulldogs, one of the best defenses in the entire country. So he's there, he gets like two and a half sacks, but they have so much talent on that defensive line, so much talent on that defense, that he's not a starter. He's a reserve player for them, and he's thinking to himself, like, I worked so hard to come here, 
and or to get to this point in my career, but I just need to get a little bit more opportunity on the field. I didn't work so hard at Last Chance U and at the Independence Community College to just come here and be a backup. Transfers to Florida State for his senior year, and he plays out of his mind. One of the best edge rushers in the entire country at Florida State. He was number one in the ACC for tackles for loss. He was number one in the ACC for sacks. He was the 2021 ACC Defensive Player of the Year. They got 12 and a half sacks, 17 and a half tackles for loss, and played the run well the whole time too. So he showed you that he's got the work ethic to get there and that when the lights are the brightest and he has to show up and he's got to get it done, he absolutely can. Right? He was the best defensive player in the entire ACC, which is not the best football conference in, in the FBS, but don't get me wrong, they're playing good teams for sure. He's got... A mixture of moves. He's not an entirely pure pass rusher. Uh, he's not a bull rusher. He's not a speed guy. He's a little bit of everything. He's got good hands. He can set the edge. He can play the run. That's why my dad loved him so much because this is a guy that can do it all. And my dad has never been a guy who wants to get somebody who has to get taken off the field on first down or second down. He hated Clay Matthews' play style and anybody like that. If you're a pure pass rusher, Dave Burnham doesn't want him. You need a guy that can be on the field all three downs. Jermaine Johnson is that guy. He can play every bit, and I'm not sure if he's going to be elite. I'm not sure if he's going to be you know, leading the league in sacks. Probably not. But can they get six, seven, eight sacks out of him while having him play the run? Similar to kind of what we get from Jermaine, uh, John Franklin Myers. I think if we could get that sort of play from Jermaine Johnson, we can't be unhappy. To mix him in, to have him on the rotation with John Franklin Myers, Carl Lawson, Jacob Martin, we got guys like Bryce Huff and Vinnie Curry who are going to be competing, Quentin Williams, Sheldon, uh, Sheldon Rankins, Solomon Thomas. When you look at this defensive line, they lost Foley Fadakasi, but they add Jermaine Johnson. They had another draft pick later in the draft. And I think that it's going to be one of the best pass rush units the Jets have had in a very long time. And it's crazy to say that because you look at the cornerbacks and you're like, well, this is going to be one of the best cornerbacks room, cornerback rooms we've had in a while since Revis. You look at the defensive line, you're like, yeah, this is going to be one of the best D-lines we've had in a while. Offensive line, same thing. Tight end group, absolutely same thing. Running back, same thing. Wide receiver, same thing. This team has so much talent now. Jermaine Johnson was like just a third first-round pick for the Jets. An edge rusher on top of the wide receiver, on top of the cornerback. This is awesome. Now, Jermaine Johnson being the fact that he was a redshirt senior, you know, spending two years at community college and then going to Georgia and then going to Florida State, he's a little bit older than some of the other prospects, which was potentially a red flag for some people. But with that age comes a sophistication and a wisdom that when you saw him on the panel of Garrett Wilson and Sauce Gardner and himself, I mean, he composes himself really well. You hear him speak in interviews. This is a guy that gets it. This is a guy that knows what it takes to work. He knows what he has to do. He's a very confident, understanding dude, and you can see why in those interviews with Joe Douglas and Robert Sala, they said, we want you to be a member of the New York Jets, and you can see why they were trying so hard to trade up there to get him. Thank goodness they did. Thank goodness we came out of the first round with three absolute studs and guys that I couldn't be happier about. So I leave day one Thursday feeling freaking good. Like, wow, this is a dream come true. They can do anything in this draft, but there's one guy that I really want more than anything. I've been saying it since the beginning of this whole process, all the way up through now. Brees Hall was a guy, not just because his name sounds perfect with Bryce Hall, which is obviously a wonderful treat when you've got Michael Carter and Michael Carter and everything else, but because he was the best running back in all the FBS last year, he played out of his mind for Iowa State, and he plays the exact same style that the Jets need for their offense. He plays just like Michael Carter, playing an outside zone scheme. He's very patient in the backfield, finds the outside holes, and then accelerates, but he's got a little bit more size and a little bit more toughness going up the middle. So when the Jets do need that one, two, three yards, we said to ourselves, like, all right, Michael Carter's not the best up the hole in, you know, third and one, fourth and one situations. But do you really want to bring it back who's just purely there to pick up one, two yards? Probably not because then they can't be on the field all the time and it's kind of a tell when they do come onto the field, yada, yada. Brees Hall was the whole package. Pass blocking, catching, which the Jets need. The ability to run outside, absolutely. A proven work ethic. The Jets trade up because they know that they have to get this guy. 
So they move up. They trade with the Giants, trade pick 38 and pick 146 to get 36 and pick up Brees Hall, who is going to be an absolute savage for this offense. This team kind of built the way the San Francisco 49ers are built. Really good offensive line. It doesn't matter as much who your running back is. It's supposed to be a situation where you can plug in a Jamichael Hasty or an Elijah Mitchell or a, a Raheem Mostert or whomever. Not a household name. Put them into your offense. Watch them succeed. Just because the offense is built that way, the offensive line is built that way. That's what the Jets are kind of building here. But Michael Carter is a very, very good talent. And then you put this guy on top of it, you've made your strength potentially become a powerhouse unit. And I mean that. This could be, if Mekhi Becton plays at a high level with his run blocking, on top of Lakin Tomlinson and Elijah Vera Tucker, three absolutely elite offensive linemen, and your other two being Connor McGovern and George Fant, who are perfectly fine, acceptable, on top of three elite guys, with your tight ends being Tyler Conklin and C.J. Uzoma, who are big dudes and can block, these two running backs can go absolutely off. And I wanted it more than anything. And when they drafted Brees Hall and traded up to do it, I was just like, at that moment in time, I said to myself, I said out loud to my dad and everybody in the room, I said, this is the best Jets draft class in history. I can't believe what they've done so far. To come away with the wide receiver, the running back, the cornerback, and the edge rusher in the first 36 picks. Everybody that I wanted, it was unbelievable. It still is. It still blows my mind when I think about it, honestly. And Brees Hall is going to be a ton of fun to watch. Now, I love Michael Carter, and I want to see a lot of Michael Carter. We certainly will. But I think we're probably going to see something close to 30% of the carries to Michael Carter, maybe 40% of the carries to Brees Hall, and then the other 30% mixed up between a Tevin Coleman or a Ty Johnson or whoever else needs to go in there and get a carrier to the wide receivers. It's going to be a, a committee backfield. Brees Hall, in my opinion, is the most talented, but gosh forbid he's just okay, and he's a little bit better than like a Ty Johnson or Tevin Coleman. You still have Michael Carter there. So no matter what, your offense is going to be predicated on the run and is probably going to be pretty successful as long as the O-line on that running back's healthy, and then you throw in another guy who can spell him, extend his career, limit the carries for both of the guys. That's awesome. Brees Hall did have a lot of carries in college. He had like almost 800 carries in three years. But that's because this guy was an absolute workhorse and the best player in Iowa State running history. He's 5'11", 217 pounds, so a little bit bigger than Michael Carter. We're in a 4'3", 940-yard dash. So in the 4'3s, I mean, this guy does have straight-line speed. And you can see it because he's got relations in his bloodline to Roger Craig, an awesome running back from back in the day. Now, when you look at what Brees Hall did in college, it is just college, but he set the FBS record for most games in a row with a rushing touchdown at 24. This guy could not be kept out of the end zone over and over getting in there every single game. He's the perfect fit for this offense running his own. If you watch his highlights, you'll see he goes through that exact hole where Mekhi Becton, Elijah Vera Tucker, or the tight end are going to be right between those guys. You see him run through that hole time and time again. And that's where the jets are going to have him going time and time again as well. On top of it, this guy can block, this guy can catch, and he just gets it done. He was the number one player in the Big 12 in point scoring. Absolutely dominant. So, yes, the Jets got... When you talk about, like, Sauce Gardner was the best player at his position, better than Derek Stingley. He was the best player at his position. Also, as clear as Sauce Gardner was the best cornerback, Brees Hall was the best running back. We left with the absolute unquestioned best running back in the draft, the absolute unquestioned best cornerback in the draft, as well as a top three wide receiver and a top three pass rusher. Yeah, it is mind-blowing. It still doesn't make any sense. So now it's like, all right, we got pick 101. It's much later in the draft. It's like that 60-pick drought when you're just waiting there to see if Joe Douglas moves up, but he's not, and you're like, all right, who's going to be there? This point doesn't really matter because the draft has been so successful, it's not going to be built or focused around pick 101, pick 111, or pick 117. But let's see what we can get. The Jets take my number two tight end in the entire draft, Jeremy Rucker, out of Ohio State. 
Now, my buddy's an Ohio State fan, went to the school, and uh, I watched a lot of their games to support him because his family's big into it and everything. So I watched a lot of Jeremy Ruckert. But I said to him, when I watched Jeremy Ruckert play for the first time when he was a sophomore, I said, who's this Ruckert guy? He looks really good. He looks like he'd be a great fit for the NFL. And he right away was like, yeah, he's a pretty good player for our team. Uh, doesn't get the ball a ton. We usually throw the receivers and everything, but he's good. Hope to see more from him this year. I was like, all right. From then on, I watched this guy. And every single week that I did, I just looked at him and I said, that's an NFL tight end. Now, he was only getting like 300 yards a year. He wasn't catching for 80 yards in a game. He was getting a couple catches here and there. But when he did, the way he moves, the way he blocks, the size that he has, the way he catches the ball, takes the extra yard, puts his shoulder down, blocks out wide, gets downfield. He's everything that you're looking for in a tight end. I was very, very, very high on this guy. I had him as my number two tight end. Not a lot of people had him up that high, but it was clear to me that he was built for the NFL. Now, it's not a need on this team because we have C.J. Uzoma and Tyler Conklin both on three-year deals right now. But when you look at tight ends, it's such a complicated position in the fact that it has to be a part of the run game, the passing game, the offensive line team does a little bit of everything. It's like the jack-of-all-trades position, and it's probably going to be pretty involved in special teams if you're the third tight end on the roster. So it's a very complicated position, and it, it's not something that a guy just shows up year one and is a great tight end unless you're an absolute freak. A Kyle Pitts, yeah, maybe, a receiver-type guy. When you learn all the schemes and stuff of coming into the NFL, there's a big learning curve. And that's perfect for him because he doesn't have to play right away, and when he does, he'll be ready because he'll be coached by a great guy in C.J. Uzomo, who's a veteran, has an awesome personality. You've got another good young learning tight end in Tyler Conklin. You've got a great tight end coach in Ron Middleton, who, by the way, coached Jeremy Rucker at the Reese's Senior Bowl. So he had a good opportunity to see him there, to work with him, to see his work ethic, his practice style, and they saw that this guy's perfect to work right behind Uzama, right behind Conklin, and become probably the tight end of the future for the Jets. So they already had a strong tight end room after making those two signings. Now it's even stronger. It's got more depth. You're replacing those guys like Daniel Browns and Trevon Wescos and things over the years that just haven't really given you much. And now you're able to cut Ryan Griffin, save the money. I mean, it's just a really, really nice team the Jets are building. And Jeremy Rucker was an awesome pick. The blocking, the class tight end play. And when you think about the fact that he's a New York Jets fan and grew up as a New York Jets fan, there's pictures of him almost identical to the pictures that I have of myself when I was five years old, wearing full Jets gear, just like pretending you're a football player. I mean, I never got anywhere near, I'm not six foot five, 250 pounds like Jeremy Rucker. I'm like 5'8", hopefully not 250 pounds anytime soon. Thank you, high noon. But uh, yeah, this guy was just meant to be here. His family stoked. He's stoked. It's going to be a match made in heaven, and he's not going to be the guy that you see right away week one, barring injuries, hopefully nothing. Hopefully we're not seeing him too much early on, but when we do, we're going to be pleasantly surprised in what we got from pick number 101. So I was going to talk about picks number 111 and 117 next, but I think given the fact that I don't have a lot to do after going through these players, I think it's a good time to talk about the father time. That was the meat and potatoes of this draft. That was my number two tight end, number one running back, number two edge rusher, number two wide receiver, number one cornerback, all drafted right there. Boom, that's what builds this draft class. The last two guys I had to learn when we drafted them, but the meat and potatoes, what this team is built on, we've talked about it already. So let's give the spotlight to my dad, David Burnham, and do this week's father time. Written by my dad. Here we go. This is father time. 2022 season will be the most interesting and exciting in 10 years plus. We might be at a tipping point for the better. We shall see. But in the meantime, there are a few points that should be covered. The offense is more loaded now than I can remember. JD's made vast improvements. Hail JD. But in reality, the success of the upcoming season on offense rests on two key players. The first one, of course, is Zach Wilson. He has been gifted new Pro Bowl-level talent on the O-line. Additions in the backfield, a first-round perfect fit wideout, three tight ends, and more. Now is the time to show that he's our quarterback of the future. The offense is talented and complete. That said, 
Zach has been working hard and is serious about putting in work to produce positive results. He's putting in the effort to be as good as he can be. Will it be good enough? I have more faith in him now than I did after week 17. I believe that Zach is very serious about being good. The other big name is Makai Big Ticket Becton. He can be an able pass blocker. He was very good as a rookie against the NFL's best. But his run blocking can be dominant. An agile mauler with attitude. With Becton, AVT, McGovern, and Tomlinson blocking for MC1 and Hall 2, Zach won't be needing to throw much. So much will be taken off of his shoulders with a dominant run game. The run game needs Becton. It won't excel without him. A healthy Becton makes our sophomore rookie quarterback succeed. It's that simple. Did you see Big Ticket working out with the big bust sweatshirt on for all to see? Expect him to come roaring back. I do. The defense is much better too. Expect the pass defense to be much improved, and the NFL is a passing league. Adding a corner and a defensive end in this draft is nice and will limit passing yards, but it seems that JD has left upgrading the middle of the defense for next year. The part that largely stops the run, and that's what we need to do, stop the run. CJ Mosley will probably not be a Jet in 2023, and we don't have a replacement after losing Foley in free agency. The question here is, will this team stop the run? We couldn't stop it last year. If anyone has a Keem Hicks cell phone number, please pass it on to JD and tell him to make the call. Because we have to stop the run. So, run the ball on offense and stop the run on defense. It's all about the run. It's our new mission, and if we can do that, everything else should fall into place. Go Jets. End scene. Whoa. So, a big time father time. Long as ever, without mentioning any of the draft player names. I was shocked when I read this thing. I was like, you're not going to talk about the excitement that we had towards Sauce Gardner and Jermaine Johnson and Garrett Wilson? And he was like, no, that's your job. I'm going to talk about what the Jets need to do to be successful this year. And it's really clear to him. He's told me time and time again, of course, Zach Wilson, that's an obvious one. The team is good. Zach Wilson has to play well. He's the quarterback. But Makai Becton and his impact on the team and the run game can't be overstated. He was very, very good as a rookie. Hardly played last year, really at all, so we have no idea what he's going to be like. But when he does play, and he sets <laughs> those blocks in the run game on the left side, when we have him next to Elijah Vera Tucker, with these running backs and everything, like it's going to be something to, to witness. But obviously he's been injured for a long time, and there are those doubters out there that believe that he's not going to be able to do it, and he's a big bust. And I love, just like my dad, that he's wearing that sweatshirt, embracing it, saying, good, call me a bust. I can't wait to prove you wrong. So that's a big-time thing. My dad is really worried about the defense because his number one thing is stopping the run. I agree to an extent that the run is extremely important for the Jets to stop, but I believe that if they can score and they can run the ball effectively, that getting after the passer and stopping the pass in that zone defense, not getting picked apart, is probably more important to me because when it comes to, like, third and eights, you're not going to be running. Those big plays, those big important ones, is going to be put into the quarterback's hands and your defense to get after the passer or stop the pass. And last year, there were plays that, like, when they're throwing into our soft zone for three, four, five, six-yard gains, no problem on slants and quick little outs, like, that's as effective as a run play. And there's nothing that you can do about it. At least a guy gets a chance to get their hands on you on the defensive line. When you talk about adding in a Jermaine Johnson and a Carl Lawson, the ability for John Franklin Myers to move inside, Quincy Williams's growth, and some of the other players that we have there, I do think that it's possible the Jets will be an improved run-stopping team. We don't have Foley, who was absolutely one of our best run-stoppers, but we never played with Carl Lawson, and we haven't played with John uh, with Jermaine Johnson, and we haven't had the ability to have John Franklin Myers part of like a rotation of really good players, not just having him there and then Tim Ward or Shaq Lawson on the other side. Right, we have a better safety at stopping the run in Jordan Whitehead. Potentially better run-stopping cornerbacks out there as well. So while it's not the perfect defense to stop the run, their ability to stop the pass is going to help enough, I think, to make this defense not great, but much improved. And I don't think at the end of the day it's going to kill us as much as he thinks it will, but that remains to be seen. It was a good father time. I appreciate that. I wish that we got a little bit more of that... Uh, fire and juice towards the draft picks themselves, but that's okay. It was there. I assure you he is absolutely as stoked about this draft class as I am. 
and as many of us are. And that was this week's Father Time. So thank you, Dad. Much appreciated as always. Before we continue with the last two picks of the Jets draft and our undrafted free agents, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. We are going to talk about pick number 111. In the fourth round, Joe Douglas picks up Max Mitchell, offensive tackle from Louisiana Lafayette, a senior. Six foot six guy, 307 pounds. When he's drafted, I don't know anything about him, and I'm like, all right, offensive line, offensive tackle was a position that I said, you know, had they not moved up, had they retained their nine picks, I wanted to see them go after an offensive tackle in round two, maybe round three. There were some guys I really wanted. Max Mitchell, not a guy that I knew from a school that's very, very small. But when you read up on him, you can see why the Jets did it. He's a swing tackle who played 29 games at right tackle and nine games at left tackle for the Louisiana Lafayette team, playing in the Sun Belt. So not the best competition in the world, but he was first team all-conference in the Sun Belt, said to be a great leader, which is a big-time JD characteristic, and being able to play both sides with, uh, you know, they say he's got a little bit more athleticism than power. I actually watched the entire uh, Sun Belt championship game that he played in. I wasn't wowed. There were definitely some plays that I said, wow, that's really good. He looks good. But there were some plays that he wasn't great. There were actually a few drives where he got burned like two, three plays in a row and kind of killed the drive, it looked like. So I wasn't 100% in on him there. But, of course, that was just one game, and he's a project. He's not brought in to be a starter. He's not brought in to replace Mekhi Becton. Even if he's injured, we're not going to see Max Mitchell starting many games there this year. George Fant, not there to replace him. But to learn to grow, to be a swing tackle behind both guys, and potentially be a better player there than a Chuma Adoga or a Connor McDermott. At this point, none of us want to see Chuma Adoga or Connor McDermott playing any snaps for the Jets because they're significant downgrades from what we have in Becton or Fant or what we had in Moses. But if Max Mitchell can come in, learn this team, and be a slightly better version of a Connor McDermott, that would be awesome. He's got the rookie deal. He's got the leadership qualities that we want. He's played on both sides. So when you see that, if the Jets think they can mold him, and Joe Douglas is as good at drafting offensive line as anybody, in my opinion, right? Mekhi Becton was a hit before the injury. Elijah Vera Tucker, absolutely going to be a very, very good player. Joe Douglas gets the offensive line. We never got to see Cameron Clark play because of injuries that derailed his career and ended it. So we don't know how good he would have been. But this is the new one, Max Mitchell. Joe Douglas likes him. I like him. Six foot six swing tackle. Let's see what he can do. Then, at pick number 117, the Jets' final pick in this draft, they take an edge rusher from Texas A&M, Michael Clemens. This is another guy that when he's drafted, I don't know the name. I have to do some research. He's a redshirt senior, six foot five, 263 pounds. With his play style, he's a very interesting prospect for the Jets. We love the defensive line. We love hanging out for rotation. We want to get after the passer, give guys some breaks and stuff, be able to put another guy in there so we're not playing no names like we did last year. But Michael Clemens' trajectory through his college career is very interesting. He started at junior college, where he worked his way up, became the top-rated junior college prospect, got signed to Texas A&M, where he played his entire career, but he had minimal play as a freshman because he had a foot injury. He didn't play at all as a sophomore. So now he was basically a reserve his freshman year, no play in his sophomore year. So now you're going into his junior year, and you're like, all right, let's see what he can do. He plays five games and has ankle surgery. Shoot, okay, still no body of work. Senior year comes up, he gets suspended for two games, I'm sorry, for the first four games of 2021 for getting arrested carrying a weapon in marijuana. So now this guy has missed time in every single season playing with Texas A&M, has hardly played any football, but when he does, he's doing a really, really good job. He was suspended for those first four games and still had 11 tackles for loss, seven sacks, and was pressured with the fourth most quarterback pressures of any player in the SEC, 46 quarterback pressures. That's a crazy amount of quarterback pressures for playing in just 10 games. So we didn't get to see it, right, freshman, sophomore, junior year, really. But in that senior year when he was on the field, you saw some dominance. Now, this guy's an older prospect, an absolute terror of a human being. If you see his interviews, I mean, the way that he, like, stands up there with so much composure, processes your questions, thinks about it, looks through your soul, and then just says it so matter-of-factly, it's, uh, it's something to behold. 
And when I see it, he looks to me like the enforcer of the defensive line. He's uh, He did have that one arrest, so off the field issues, like, you worry about that a little bit. But I think when you're talking about marijuana and the weapon thing is stupid, there's no reason to. But I guess when you're a big-time player for Texas A&M, you want to be strapped, I guess, whatever. The marijuana thing is like, all right, you partied a little bit too hard. Um, it's not like he had physical altercations with people. It's not like he tried to evade the police. It's not like he was domestic violence or anything like that. Those things worry me more about a person's actual character than, you know, partying a little too hard. But obviously that stuff doesn't fly. I'm not condoning any of it. It does not fly in the NFL. But if the Jets can see past that and see that he's a man ready to take ownership and being an NFL player and put that stuff behind him, focus on his career, when you see him play, if he stays healthy, it's a, it's a dart throw, but it's pick 117. When you're looking at the guy that could have been maybe a second or third round prospect if he'd been healthy and you're grabbing him here at pick 117, that's big value. We did that with Bryce Hall, who was injured coming out of Virginia. The Jets were able to snag him in the fifth round. He's been as good as we hoped he'd be. And he's still playing well for the Jets now. Michael Clemens, if he stays healthy, this scary dude, this enforcer for the defensive line, you know, he's going to be a good guy, a good team player. I can see it already in his demeanor. But he's also not going to be just like the nice guy. Like Carl Lawson's a nice guy and Quinnen's a nice guy. And this team is just full of good people. It's nice to have one dude that just like wants to smack you in the face. And he was quoted as saying, I like bull rushing. I love just hitting the man in the mouth. It really shows you what a man can take physically when you just hit him in the mouth over and over again just to wear a guy down that's like oh shit okay I believe you I look forward to seeing him stay healthy and try to be a good piece for that defensive line and surprise us all there are some people that were really high on him because they saw the footage that he put on tape and said wow that's really good most people had him around where the Jets drafted him here because he didn't have enough play to really put there a little bit of off the field stuff but that stuff you know that's in the past. His football life is ahead of him. What he can do remains to be seen. Welcome to the team, Michael Clemens. He rounded out this Jets 2022 greatest draft class of all time. There's no better class that I could possibly think of on May 10th. We'll see how it works out. We'll see if anybody gets injured, has any sort of issues, or just maybe doesn't work in the system or wants to get out. I don't know. But I do know that when you look at what the Jets needed, you look at who was available. You scouted these players the way I did. These players all make sense, and they're going to be perfect fits for this team. And I can't wait to see what they do. I mean, they're growing the right way. It's a rebuild, but it's like a real rebuild. Exactly the way that you would draw it up. Just like, all right, we're going to cut it all down. We're going to get our new coach. We're going to get the right people in here. We're going to build an O-line, a nice young quarterback, put pieces around him, and then watch him go. That's what we're doing here. We have one of the best rosters we've had in years. My favorite coach we've probably ever had in my lifetime. I'm willing to say that after just a single unsuccessful season. Robert Sala is my favorite Jets coach in history that I've seen play. And I've been watching since 1998. So, yes, I love it. The Jets did bring in... Some other guys, some undrafted free agents. These guys, I went through the list. There were some players leaving the draft that I thought the Jets should go after. There were definitely some safeties um, and a couple other guys that I really wanted to see the Jets make a move on. Ultimately, they didn't. They took like 14 guys, none of whom I've ever heard of, uh, a lot of them from really, really small schools and positions that, frankly, aren't huge needs for us. These are some dart throws, some training camp bodies, some players in case somebody gets injured. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we already had the most players signed to contracts going into the draft. We didn't need to find as many bodies as other teams do. So we bring some players in for mini camps. A lot of them will get cut. Players that get injured, it'll all work itself out. The cream will rise to the top. Not too worried about these names. Not super excited about really any of them. But I guess if I was to be, the positions of need to me would be like safety. And the Jets took three of them in, in the uh, undrafted free agent class. So Alan George. A safety out of Vanderbilt, Tony Adams, a safety out of Illinois, and DJ Ford, a safety out of East Carolina. Those are guys that I'm watching specifically because I think that we need a better safety. I don't want to see much of Ashton Davis, and that was one of those positions that I thought the Jets should go after early in this draft, you know, late first, second, third round. I want to see them make a move. 
they weren't able to do so, perfectly fine. But, uh, yeah, seeing one of those guys pop perhaps in preseason could be a nice thing. They took another uh, defensive back, cornerback Jeremy Webb out of Kansas. And some other defensive players, they got linebacker DQ Thomas from Middle Tennessee. I didn't even know there was a Middle Tennessee, but there is. They got some defensive linemen, Savion Williams from Florida A&M and C.J. Brewer from Coastal Carolina. So again, more small schools. Hard to tell what these guys have until you see them play against other NFL talent. Like he may have been the best player at Florida A&M, or like D.Q. Thomas could have crushed it at Middle Tennessee. But we have no idea what he would look like if he was playing for, say, uh, Ohio State or Alabama or with the New York Jets. It's not to say that he couldn't. Maybe he, you know, peaked later than everybody else. Maybe he never got the opportunity. Maybe he had to work his ass off to get where he is because he was playing for Middle Tennessee and he just got better and better and better when other people took it easy. We don't know. But we're going to find out in preseason and through training camps what these guys can bring. On the offensive side of the ball, the Jets really addressed running back and wide receiver. They went after DeAndre Torrey, running back out of North Texas, Zonovan Knight from North Carolina State, L.D. Brown from Oklahoma State, and a fullback, John Chanel from Wisconsin. That one's kind of exciting to me, John Chanel, because we've got Nick Bauden as a potential fullback. Trevon Wesco could be in the mix, hopefully not. And then this guy, John Chanel, should he play really well? You know, you draft an undrafted guy. Wisconsin is notoriously a good offensive line school, good blockers. A lot of good running backs have gone there. And then when you think about the fact that the Jets need a fullback in this offense kind of the way that Kyle Juszczyk plays in San Francisco. And you think about how for, uh, fullbacks are not drafted early at all. Like, you're not going to see a fullback drafted in the first, second, third, fourth round. You realistically could be getting the first, second, or third best fullback in the entire college country as an undrafted free agent. That happens time and time again. Unfortunately, most fullbacks don't have much impact in the NFL. It's kind of a lost position. They don't bring a ton of value. And there's not many great ones that are even in the league. But I'll be interested to see if John Chanel can be an exception to the rule and show us that fullbacks can still be useful guys in the NFL. Some wide receivers the Jets got. Keyshawn Abram from Kent State. Ron Hunt from North Carolina A&T. And Irvin Charles from Indiana University of Pennsylvania. Which, when I saw IUP, I said, what the hell is IUP? Indiana University of Pennsylvania. The name doesn't even make any sense, but they have a football team, and he played well there, so he's getting a chance with the New York Jets. So we'll monitor these guys. This is going to be more training camp stuff. We're going to monitor, see if they get uh, better. Who starts popping? You always get a few of those names that are early on, like, ooh, this guy's getting some some early reps. This guy's flashing. This guy's got a great chemistry with uh, Mike White, Joe Flacco, or Zach Wilson. And as that happens, we'll react accordingly. But at this point in time... The real bulk, the meat and potatoes, the good stuff is those first seven picks. Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson, Jermaine Johnson, Brees Hall, Max Mitchell, Jeremy Rucker, and Michael Clemens. That is your 2022 Joe Douglas New York Jets draft class. Absolutely phenomenal. Couldn't be more excited. I can't wait for the next steps. This is... The lull of sports, because football ends for the Jets. Other teams play in the playoffs. We watch that. Super Bowl ends in February. A month later, you're watching all the free agency frenzy, watching the Jets sign people, talking about all that. Then that ends, and all you're doing is focusing on the draft. Lead up to the draft, then the draft itself. You got about a week to process it, and then it's May 10th, and you've got until like late July before you're really getting excited about the football season again right before preseason starts, and you start to feel like, all right, we're actually getting back to this thing. So it's going to be a, a bit of a gauntlet here, just trying to get through these coming months. I wish that uh, the New York Knicks or the New York Rangers were a little bit more successful this year. The Rangers still are hanging in there. They're down 1-3 to the Penguins, and I don't see it lasting much longer the way they're playing right now, but you never know. I will hope that that will last longer. I'll watch a bunch of French Open Whatever other sports I can find in the meantime, UFC, maybe some Yankees baseball, and enjoy the outside. Go fishing, play some disc golf, relax with the boys, eat very, very little, get toned for September, and then watch this New York Jets team take flight. So thank you for joining me on this episode. 
I don't know exactly when I'm going to be back. Uh, when the Jets are starting to do, I don't know, mini camps are kind of boring. When the Jets start doing training camp, we're going to do like a training camp preview, talking about the position battles. Now that everything's kind of getting sorted out, they'll probably add one or two more free agents just to fill in the gaps they weren't able to hit in the draft. Uh, my dad mentioned trying to get a guy like Akeem Hicks. That's possible. Maybe they'll go out and get a uh, you know veteran linebacker, a veteran safety, something like that could be available. I wouldn't be surprised to see it. Um, maybe a little bit of work on the interior offensive line is possible. But you know what? I forgot to freaking mention it because I was so caught up in the draft talk and so excited about my draft notes. The Jets made an awesome signing. Nate Herbig coming from the Eagles. This guy is a younger, cheaper, better version of Greg Van Roten. He's an ascending interior offensive lineman that was playing great for the Eagles who have an awesome offensive line and have really no need to carry more of them. Nate Herbig has had PFF grades of like 68, 70, 71, which are very, very good grades. He's been a backup, barely given up any sacks, stayed healthy. I mean, this guy is an awesome depth move, and it allowed them to cut Greg Van Roten, save a little bit of money there. Potentially, Nate Herbig will get an extension with the Jets. But this is the kind of guy that is a genius move by Joe Douglas because you've got your Lakin Tomlinson, you've got your Elijah Vera Tucker, but there's a chance one of them goes down, and you're like, eh. Greg Van Roten, he can start. We have him. Dan Feeney, we don't want to see him. He's kind of a backup center, I guess, if anything. Now you replace that Greg Van Roten, and you put in a guy like Nate Herbig, who I wouldn't even mind seeing start. No, I do not want anything to happen to Lakin Tomlinson or Elijah Vera Tucker, but just say they miss time for anything, and you're putting in Nate Herbig, someone who you're actually excited to see play with this team, a guy that's worked with Joe Douglas's Eagles before. I mean, this was a great, great signing by the Jets. Underrated under-the-radar type of guy. I forgot about it going into this thing. I was like thinking to myself, we're probably going to go after an interior offensive lineman, and I'm forgetting the fact that we already did. So awesome work by Joe Douglas there as well. That's all I got for this podcast. Thank you all for joining me. I'll be back when training camps are. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 